<laughs> Too long ago. Praise the Lord. Anyway, today our discussion point is titled Thrive 2017. And uh, this builds on our discussion point last week, which was Call 2017. So I just want to very briefly go over what we did last week. It'll be very brief. You can actually listen to the whole thing on uh, SoundCloud, the links on the Facebook page. But I wanted to do something a little bit different at the beginning of of this year. I I really felt that um, the Holy Spirit's word to us for this year is about everyone as an individual. So this 2017 is what I called the year for me, meaning the year for you individually. And um, there will be times in the future, no doubt, when when I sense, you know, God is saying something for the whole of Ignite Life Church, but I really feel that 2017 is a year for each of us as individuals. And of course, there is going to be blessing, there is going to be miraculous stuff happening for us as a body corporate as well. But just to get us off on the right foot, I really want to emphasise how important you are to God as individuals. He cares about you and Jesus died for you, not for yous, so to speak. He died for each one of us as an individual because God loves us individually. And that's a really important thing to bear in mind because there are lots of political ideologies these days which really deny the importance of the individual. But God believes in you as an individual. So we started last week by saying 2017 is a time for me to thrive and that's what we're going to focus on today. That little verse in 3 John chapter 1 verse 2 it's about us prospering and being in health as our souls prosper. It's a blessing that has been pronounced upon the readers of the letter that John wrote. So 2017 is a time for me to thrive. It's a time for me to follow Jesus full time, to get this revelation that we're not Christians when we feel good or when someone is saying nice things about us or when we're sharing with others in church on Sunday but we're Christians 24-7. And we really need to get a revelation of that because that's one of the things that actually empowers us to receive everything that God has for us in our lives, including that part of our lives that we spend connected with church, that part of our lives that we spend connected with family, that part of our lives that we spend connected with friends, that part of our lives we spend connected with work, and so on and so forth. So to be a full-time Christian is merely to have a revelation that he's in everything. Jesus is in everything that we do, everything that we think, say and do, is spiritual. There's no dividing line between that which is secular and that which is spiritual. For the born-again Christian, everything is spiritual. So we're following Jesus full-time. And this passage here in Mark 8.34, you might recall, was the one in which um, Jesus challenges us to take up the cross and follow him. And I pointed out last week that many people interpret that as 
some kind of great weighty burden that we've got to carry through life, a, a burden of doing the right thing, uh, the burden of obeying all these commandments. But in fact, when you consider Jesus is not on the cross, this burden is light. He was the one who said, come to me all who are laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, for my yoke is light and my burden is easy. So when we pick up the cross and carry the cross, it cannot be a burdensome thing and what we need is to have a revelation of the fact that we're not just post-resurrection Christians, we're post-ascension Christians. When Jesus ascended, he went to sit at the right hand of the Father and spiritually speaking, we are seated right next door to Jesus. So when we pick up the cross, when we become full-time Christians, it's not a burdensome thing. In fact, it's a freeing thing because we enter his joy. And then finally last week, we talked about the whole idea of these three different types of calling. That the first and primary calling is a calling to actually become a Christian, to surrender to Jesus, to build relationship with the Heavenly Father through Him. And that is a call on all people through all time and across all cultures. And as part of the outworking of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we, we can discern a God-given vocational call. A, a vocational call that might bring you into a connection with children, for example, as Helen and Jeanette. They, they're gifted and they're involved in that area. For me, it's business. Um, for others, there'll be something that God has called us to. And sometimes it can take a long time to discover. I tell people sometimes I had a 28-year apprenticeship working in public universities before I started working at Christian Heritage College. And um, that's what I reckon it was. It was a long time learning and, and building up and acquiring skills and knowledge and expertise that I was able to actually use when in 2009 I shifted to Christian Heritage College. But in addition to that, you know, the Holy Spirit is with us all the time. It's the Holy Spirit who actually indwells us. God will even give us assignments. So let's say Helen and, and Jeanette have a vocational calling in the area of looking after children, right? At that really critical age, you know, that, that's when the adult is formed in the child. The input from parents and from other significant people in the lives of young children sets them up for the whole of their lives. But you see, that gifting, that vocational call, isn't necessarily going to be exercised at Livingston Christian College always. So their assignment could change. The vocational call will remain, but their assignment will change. And I think we're most satisfied in God when we've actually responded to all three levels of calling. That's a big challenge. And you know, the world is not set up to do this. And most of the Christian world isn't set up to do this because they don't really have that understanding of that primary call, the first call, the second call, that secondary call into vocation, and then that third level of calling, which is specific assignment. So, you know, so for Dan, a specific assignment 
could be making a knife for a particular customer. Right? Specific assignment. He's got an artistic um, call on his life, a vocational call into an artisan type occupation. But then there's the specific assignment that comes customer by customer by customer. And each one of those assignments can be a source of blessing for him as well as for for the customer. Now that was last week and I don't want to go through the whole thing again but I know that not everybody was here because some were on, on holidays. But I did want to just um, revise that because what I'm doing today really is a follow-on from what we had a look at last week. And I just want to let you know really that the choice about thriving in 2017 is actually yours. That I believe God has, as it were, made the offer, but you know now we have to do something in order to uh, receive it. And I, I can think of nothing better than to present to you some of the ideas from Nerida Walker's book, It Is Finished. Now, her big miracle in life was children. She was told she couldn't have children. And uh, she's got four children now, including twins. I'm pretty sure she's got twins. And uh, when she actually fell pregnant, her doctor accused her of infidelity. Because, uh, sorry, it was, uh, her husband was infertile. And the doctor just didn't believe that she could be pregnant and he thought that she had to have uh, been untrue to her husband and had a sexual relationship with someone else. But no, God brought about a miracle in their life and that miracle has been repeated. They've got four beautiful children now. It's an absolutely amazing story and uh, she's a fairly well-known speaker now um, on the circuit in, in Australia. But in 2011, I think it was, she published this book called It Is Finished and Ainsley actually bought a copy of it for me. She's got a copy of it herself and we often refer to Nerida Walker's uh, book, when, when we ourselves need a boost in our faith in any area of life or during any challenge that we come across. So the title of the book, It Is Finished, and it's a great front cover, isn't it, because it's in the shape of the, of the cross. And one of the most important things for us to do is to remember the finished work of the cross in which the strength of God was Displayed. You know how it says in Ephesians that the power that is at work in us is the same power by which God raised Jesus from the dead. That's one of the most amazing statements in the scripture. Right? The power to overcome death inheres in God and it was that power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead the same power is at work in us. Every one of us. It doesn't make any difference what our station in life, what our experience, it makes no difference how we feel, it makes no difference what the world tells you you are, it makes no difference what your pay packet tells you you are. The same power is at work in every single one of us. The power that overcame death. That power is at work in us. Now, we've spoken at length on a number of occasions about 
this idea of the finished work of the cross and I won't dwell on it now. But there is nothing you have to do in order to receive the promises of God other than surrendering to Christ and actually believing He is who He says He is and believing that what He says is true. Now that can be hard work sometimes obviously because our circumstances um, might be telling us something different. right? The pain in our body, uh, the sickness, the, the lack of um, dollars in our wallet, a whole range of things by way of circumstance could be telling us something different. But you see, the only work we actually have to do, and I'll talk about it shortly, is to strive to enter His rest. <coughs> That's the only striving that we're ever meant to do. It's the only time the word strive is used in the New Testament. It's in relation to entering the rest that Jesus Christ won for us because of His victory on the cross. Our works are never input. Our works are output. They're never cause, they are result. So what I do, no matter how you know, I can get up as early as I like on a Sunday morning to make sure that everything runs smoothly during our, our little service. I can work hard at that, but it's never input. I don't win brownie points with God. I don't somehow develop my faith through that. It's an output. I do it because I can't help it. Right? I'm diligent in my workplace. Not because I think I'm winning brownie points with God. Look, I was at a funeral a few weeks ago and it was in a, a denominational church and one of the things the priest w- said, well, I, I might meet Charlie in heaven if I'm good enough. That was the priest, the guy who was leading a congregation. He wasn't even certain that he was going to heaven. Well, guess what? We are. We are. We're certain and we're going. We're not going because we're good enough. We're going because Jesus is good enough. We're not going because of our works. We're going because of the finished work of Jesus. In 2017, every one of you will thrive because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So when you bear your cross, remember, it's not a burdensome cross at all. It is a cross of finished work. It's completed. What did Jesus come to earth to do? He came to earth to fulfil the law and the prophets. And when he died on the cross, his work was completed. The next point here, labour to stay in rest. The Bible, most um, translations of the Bible use the word strive. So strive for that rest in Hebrews where it talks about the Sabbath rest. For us, you know, we're not, we're not bound to religiously observe the Sabbath, the Saturday or Shabbat as the Jews call it. We're not legally bound to do that. But if you have a look in that passage in the book of Hebrews, you'll see that there's reference there to the fact that um, Israel, when they'd come out of Egypt, they were wandering around in the wilderness, they never entered their rest, their rest being the promised land. 
They didn't have the faith to enter the promised land. But you see, we have a promised land. In fact, that promised land is referred to in the book of Ezekiel as the, the glorious land. The land of glory. It was a land of beauty. It was a land of milk and honey. It was a land in which Israel was intended to work, but to enjoy their work. And then to enjoy the fruit of their labour. But they never entered that rest because they didn't have faith. And in Hebrews we're exhorted to enter his rest. It's what I call the New Testament rest. The New Testament Sabbath is much more a way of life or a way of living than it is a particular day of the week. So uh, my friend Sandy Ritchie is talking about moving his church services to Friday night. So in 2017 they're going to do church on a Friday night. They're not going to do church on Sundays. Is he going to get struck down by a, a bolt of lightning? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because the important thing is to enter his rest. The rest which comes from understanding the finished work of Christ on the cross. Now it says, don't be ruled by fear or anxiety. You know, the, the, the two words fear not appear in the Bible enough times for you to read one different context every day of the year. About 365. Yeah, yeah. It depends a little bit on the the version of the Bible, of course, exactly how some words are translated. But the point is this. God knows that we have a tendency to slip into fear, to have a tendency to slip from faith to fear. It's, um, It's so easy to do because we might find circumstances that are similar to circumstances we've experienced in the past that had a particular negative result. And it's so easy when we see those circumstances repeated to fall into fear, right? There are many, many occasions we might fear that we're not going to have enough money to pay next week's bills. Uh, We might fear that we're going to fall into sickness. There's a a million and one causes of our fear. Sometimes our fear can actually be caused by demonic influence over our lives, which can be there for hundreds of reasons, right? There's no condemnation here. It sometimes just happens because Satan is trying to rob from us the peace that we have as as Christians. So we we have to have an antidote to fear and anxiety and that antidote is the Word of God. You know, this is actually a weapon of offence. We can go on the offensive against Satan with the Word of God. And we have, I believe, an important responsibility individually to, to know by revelation what's in the Word of God. You see, you can know on the surface what's in the Word of God if you come to church often enough. So I can guarantee that, that if you come to church, any church really, it's not going to make any difference. It doesn't have to be Ignite Life Church, but any old church. If you go to a church every Sunday for long enough, you're going to know on a surface level what's in the Word of God. But unless you actually pick it up 
and spend time reading it and meditating on it, which just means thinking about it or reflecting on it, you'll never get any revelation. And it's actually the revealed Word of God that empowers you. Because once it's revealed to you, nothing can steal it away. Not circumstances, not the words that people might speak, not any demonic influence that Satan might try to impose on your life. So, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very strongly of the view that every one of us as an individual should be picking up their Bible every day. Now, I don't say that religiously. There might be some days when you don't. And in fact, there are some days when I don't. So, you know, I'm not trying to prove in some way that I'm a holier person than any of you are. It's not meant to be a religious exercise, but you pick it up and you meditate. I, I tend to write notes and I, I use study Bibles. But it's so important that you get the revelation. You know, it is finished. Those words spoken by Jesus at the cross, they're really only words and they're only head knowledge until you actually get a revelation that in fact the truth, the deep, deep truth of the matter is that Jesus Christ actually fully completed his purpose on earth before he went, uh, sorry, uh, before he died on the cross. So it's just printed words on pieces of paper until you get the revelation. And it's just amazing how that happens. But it doesn't usually happen when you just spend five minutes on the Word of God. You do need to spend a little bit of time and think about it. And I, I tend to, to like to wake up with the Word and to go to sleep with the Word, either having read it or, or listening to it. Um, because I somehow feel that there's no room for anything else if I wake up that way and go to sleep that way. And so we can use this indeed as an offensive weapon against fear and anxiety. You know, women in particular are prone to anxiety. Men tend to get uh, more depression and I think, I actually think women become anxious because men get depressed. That's my theory for what it's worth, but anyway, we won't going to that. But um, anxiety seems to be very, very common in women for 101 um, reasons. They're less prone to depression than they are to um, anxiety disorders. But here's the antidote. Here's the antidote. By the way, if you are on medication or you seek medication, I have never yet and I never will recommend anybody just go off their medication without taking appropriate advice unless you know beyond the shadow of doubt after having revelation from the Word of God confirmed by others, only then should you ever simply ignore um, medical advice. I think uh, God gave us medical people for a good reason, in the same, He gave us engineers for a good reason as well. He gave us teachers for a good reason as well. But this is a great antidote to fear and anxiety. Know the truth and know it by revelation through his word. Meditate and keep focused on the truth. That's pretty much what I've already been saying. Now by meditation, meditation in a, in a Christian sense, it's not sort of um, sitting cross-legged on the floor with a straight back and just going, hmm, till you run out of breath and then do it again. 
it's probably a better word is, is reflection. It's, 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 it's taking a passage from the Bible and then just sitting down and thinking about it. Thinking about it. What, is it, what might it have meant at the time it was written? What might it have meant to the people who existed at the time? What might it mean to, to us today? And then thinking of a way in which you can actually implement that in the coming day or, or in the coming days. So it's not, it's not emptying your mind. Christian meditation is actually about filling your mind, but filling your mind with the Word of God. So one of the um, best ways of learning actually is to reflect pick up something new then reflect on it and that's what actually changes your thinking and so learning actually is about change when you've learnt something something in you has changed at the very least your understanding has changed possibly also your behaviour has changed so if you're going to thrive in 2017 just meditate and keep focused on the truth there's plenty of untruth out there every time you access the secular media, be that um, social media, um, free-to-air television, radio, whatever it happens to be, you are actually being attacked by ideas that are contrary to the Word of God. Most music, created by God in the first place, don't, don't forget, but it's contrary to the Word of God. If you listen to the lyrics of many, many songs, contrary to the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying you should never listen to that. I'm not saying you should never listen to um, the, the free-to-air television, that you should never be engaged in social media because I do all of those things. But this is where your primary source of meditation should be. Actually, the Bible says, do not feed on the bread of sorrows. Where are all the sorrows? They're in the news. They're in the media. They're in the entertainment. That's where all the sorrows are. I, I look through the list of movies available at the moment. You know, the strongest um, theme connecting modern movies is violence. It used to be sex. It's now violence. There are very, very few movies you can go and see today that do not have a lot of violence in them. Well, that's not consistent with the Word of God. Right? The only violence we're supposed to engage in as New Testament Christians is the violence associated with taking on heaven. Now, I'm not saying you should never go and watch a movie either. Not at all. I, I, I mean, I, we don't want to become wowsers, right, who, who have no connections with what's going on in the world because we'll hardly ever be able to relate to those who don't know Jesus unless we can have some understanding of the culture in which we live. So I'm not saying that we should withdraw from our culture altogether, but be aware of that, that when you meditate, focus on the truth, not on the signals that come from the rest of the world. If you do, you will thrive in 2017. Remember your authority. Do you know what? Ah, uh, this is for Helen especially. Go right back to Genesis 1. What happened in Genesis 1? We got authority. We got authority. Right? God gave royal authority to human beings. 
in Genesis chapter 1. And he's never taken it back. He's never taken it back. Humanity gave it away. Like the effect of original sin, the effect of the sin of Adam and Eve, was to actually give authority to Satan. Now Jesus won it back for us. That's one of the things that he completed on the cross. And our job now actually is to enforce that authority that we have. Alright? So God never, ever, ever withdrew the authority that he delegated to us in Genesis 1. We're the ones who gave it up. We gave it up to Satan. Now Satan is a defeated foe today because Jesus defeated him at the cross. But it's a defeat that we have to enforce. I don't fully understand the logic there, but quite clearly, Jesus hasn't come again yet, right? The second coming of Jesus hasn't happened yet. So we're in this period of time between the first appearance of Jesus as a human being on earth and between his second appearance when he comes in glory and he rules and reigns forevermore. It's a bit more complicated than that, of course, but we don't have time to go into that here today. So right now we have authority. We have the same authority that was conferred upon Adam and Eve way back there in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. And we mustn't ever forget that. And we can take that authority. So Danny was talking a little bit earlier about a a demonic experience during the week. Well, he's got authority over every demon in this realm, over every demon. And all he has to do is to say, at the name of Jesus, go. Because the Bible assures us that when we speak the name of Jesus, they have to go. You know why they have to go? Because they know they're defeated. And they can only, only have influence in our lives if we're not exercising our authority. So we've got authority and we can exercise it. Remember the power of your word. Now this is something I've touched on many, many times in our discussion points. Our words are very powerful. Why are our words powerful? Because we're made in the image of God. God spoke the universe into being. Don't ask me how that all works. I'll know one day when I can ask God, how did that all work? But God through faith formed words and those words actually became the substance of the universe. If we're made in the image of God, if we truly believe that we're made in the image of God, then we must believe that our words are powerful. Now, we're not God, right? So we can't go away and create our own universes, alright? So, Andrew, don't get on your motorbike and create more universes on the way home or anything like that. But because we're made in his image, we're not made as him, we're made in his image, Therefore, our words, nevertheless, are creative. In fact, some people would argue that our words are more powerful as a creative force than they are as a communication mechanism. And we, if we don't create our world, we certainly create our experience of the world by the words that we speak. And the book of Proverbs in particular has a lot to say about our words. Proverbs 18 the power of life and death are in the tongue. Right? We can speak life or death into any situation. 
In fact, I believe that's often, you know, a choice we have virtually every day is to speak life or to speak death. It's a choice we make in every situation, every day. So I won't go on um, in great detail here, but can I urge you, at, at some point, why don't you make a study of the book of Proverbs? Just just read one of the Proverbs or even um, 10 or 12 lines of a proverb every, every day for um, a month or something like that and just see how much wisdom you can get from the book of Proverbs. There's a lot in there about the importance of the words that we speak. Everybody knows, of course, that the words you speak to children will actually influence the way they turn out as adults. True? Yeah, words are so important. And finally, praise and worship him. Praise and worship him. You know, uh, in the book of Psalms, it reminds us that we enter his courts with praise. Sorry, we enter his gates with praise. Uh, and his courts with thanksgiving. Sorry, thank you for that, Jeanette. We enter his gates with praise and his courts with thanksgiving. And, and it's interesting, in, 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 in Hebrew times, those psalms were actually written for, for um, corporate corporate um, action and there were there were ceremonies where you know the, the whole of Israel basically repeated the psalms and they literally stood at the gates of the city and praised him and the gates would be opened then they entered into the city with thanksgiving they're entering into the courts of the Father so praise and worship are so, are so important. That's one reason why I'm not, wouldn't be aware of any churches that don't have a period of praise and worship as part of their regular um, gathering together as, as we do ourselves. Even when we don't have our musicians here, we, we still do it because I really believe that one of the things that happens when we praise and worship God is that as we immerse ourselves in that praise, as we become lost, as it were, in that praise, that produces moments when our spirit, soul and body are one, as they ought to be. But as all of the thoughts of the world and all of our other um, baggage that we bring with us, as that's that lifted off us when spirit, soul and body are one, I really believe that God can often move in those times and bring us healing and manifest miracles. So praise and worship is so important. And I don't care how well or how badly you sing, how loudly or softly you sing, whether or not you know the words, I don't care about that and I don't think God cares about that either because fundamentally it's an attitude of the heart. Praise and worship coming from the heart. Sing as loud as you can, lift your hands in the air, Dance, you've got to be a bit careful around here because the ceilings are so low. But abandon yourself in praise and worship and see what God will do. There's some wisdom for thriving in 2017 from Mira to Walker. I really believe, I really believe that that's wisdom for us for 2017. I quickly want to quote something from um, Nick, Nick Vujicic. Now, everyone's heard of Nick Vujicic? No one can pronounce his surname? I can pronounce his surname because I read it. He, he wrote 
this is how you pronounce my name, and it's Boyacek. So I know how to pronounce it now after not knowing for about 20 years. Anyway, uh, he's written a book called Life Without Limits. I think he's got a couple of others since then. He's a guy who was born with no arms and legs. As far as I know, there was no particular explanation. I don't think it was any um, drugs his mother was taking when she was pregnant or anything like that. He just plain came out incomplete. And it's got an amazing story, you know, because as he was growing, um, lots and lots of uh, medical people tried to um, to make um, um, what prosthetic and all that, you know, arms and legs for him, and he's, he's ended up dumping them all because... As a small child, he learned how to do very nicely, thank you, with the stumps he had um, down the bottom. He hasn't got much up here. But when he was very little, he was quite independent, and he actually managed to do most things, and he found that most of these um, prosthetic appliances actually made it more difficult for him. So he doesn't have much more than um, uh, a custom-made kind of electric wheelchair, which gets him up about... This high, so so when he talks to people, he can sort of make eye contact with people. Just an amazing story. But at ten years old, he tried to commit suicide because he felt he was burdensome, and that you know God hadn't healed him because he was born into a Christian family, a family of faith. He got to ten years of age, God hadn't healed him. He thought, this is it. I'm a burden on everybody. I'm never going to amount to anything. And so he tried to drown himself when he was in the bath one night, but he couldn't because he floats. Because, you know, if you, if you sort of here to here, and you've got no arms and legs, you're, you're going to float. You're like a cork bobbing in the water. So he, he couldn't even kill himself. Anyway, he thought better of that, but he did confide in his brother who told on him to his dad, and his dad spoke with him. His dad was a very, very wise man. But this is what he says. Think about how much joy I would have missed experiencing if I had taken my life at 10. In time I came to understand that even though I didn't take my life that day, God did. Wow. That's his revelation. And I wonder, you know, how much better the year 2017 would be for us if we let God take our lives. If we're just able to say, yep, you can have my life in this year of 2017 or you can have my life. You can have my life. I'm going to keep in mind all of those things from Nerida Walker's book about the finished work of the cross. I'm going to enter into your rest but I'm going to do it all because you have taken my life. Wow. You know what? You can make that decision